Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 from 1986, directed by Toby Hooper, written by L.M. Kit Carson, starring Caroline Williams, Dennis Hopper, Jim Seedow, and Bill Mosley. And in this more comedic sequel to 1974's Tex- The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface and his creepy family are up to their same old cannibalistic hijinks. And boy, is it hijinks in this one. <laughs> this movie, yeah, it's all about hijinks, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, this is a slasher horror comedy. How do you feel about the different route of like a slasher movie going more comedic? I'm like so Not puzzled. Not to get into the review prematurely. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, on, on the onset, you can tell like there's a whole different tone in this movie. And I'm just so surprised. And, and like even reading about like uh, Toby Hooper, he, he did want to kind of make a, a dark comedy horror here. And and it, it sounds like he thinks the first one had elements of that. Did, did you ever pick I, up on anything there? Yeah, I read that quote that he thought that like this is black humor, like taken farther, but that the first one had black humor and no one noticed it because it was so like... <laughs> dark and you know the tone of that one but i don't know about that yeah i'm trying to think back on like what would have been the comedy part in that uh is it was it like him like trolling the 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 family that like lives in like like these hillbillies basically i don't know or i don't know if it was just like the way the family acted or like the way the cook acted that was black humor or what but yeah it's funny because like I'm not opposed at all to a, a slasher going more comedic or any horror movie going more comedic in the sequels. Mm-hmm. Like, I think horror and comedy work well together, but it's interesting with this one because the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is such a standout for just how like menacing and gritty it is, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think we both like felt pretty gross uh, after watching that one. Yeah. And I had seen, I mean... I knew this movie existed, but I had never seen a clip of it or anything until 2019's Child's Play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that looks bonkers. And I was on board. I was like ready for an over-the-top comedic gory sequel. Which scene do they uh, reference in that movie? I think it's the car scene. Oh, okay, okay. Like early in the beginning? Yeah. But I think we see more in that scene in Child's Play than I did in the movie I watched, (laughs) or the version I watched. Yeah, you think it's been like edited down from whatever that was? I think a little bit, but I'm not totally sure. Maybe they were watching an extended cut. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Are there are there other movies that like? Have you noticed this pattern where like maybe the first is like more serious and then it lightens up in the following uh, films? Like, do any of the other franchises do that? I thought of Psycho Two. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It wasn't necessarily comedic, but it was much lighter and very just like straight up slasher. Yeah, you're um, right. Yep popcorn slasher then i mean psycho is obviously like you know a masterpiece and and pretty dark in tone and serious in tone yeah and not that it was jokey in psycho 2 but it was it was quite a shift and i think it really worked well there oh yeah 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 that, that, that was kind of a nice uh, balance between the two i like that it played off it yeah. pretty well yeah yeah but i'm trying to think of others that took a like a comedic turn you don't feel like the Friday the 13th or the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Child's Play, um, those ones never like, kind of got like more lighthearted as they went on. Yeah, here. those definitely did. I think it was a bit more gradual with those, though. You okay. Know, this was quite a quite a jump. Yeah, a leap from the first one to the second one. Yeah, and I yeah. haven't seen too deep into Child's Play or uh, Friday the 13th franchise, but it feels like they were more gradual, and Freddy's definitely was, was more gradual. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think it's cool when, like, there's, like, a sense of wokeness that comes uh, to these movies that start off in a very serious place and then kind of embrace uh, either the slasher element or maybe some of the more uh, black horror stuff. Uh, it's good. Yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm cool with them, like, being open to evolving and changing it up and flowing with the, the character and the villain, you know, and how mm-hmm. the villain is perceived. Like, Freddy just became such a pop culture icon. It was, like, hard to make him serious anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Toby Hooper, Poltergeist, Salem's Lot, The Fun House. Have you seen any of those other ones? I feel like I've, I've only seen uh, these two and Poltergeist, but uh, have you seen other films of his? Yeah, I think I've only... I want to say I've seen another one of his, but, um, yeah, I think I've only maybe seen these two and Poltergeist. It's crazy. He's, he sounds like he's a pretty big name, actually, on, on the horror side. Yeah, we need to see Salem's Lot, for sure. Yeah. that's Is that based off the Stephen King book? Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Cool. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize this, but Bill Mosley, who played Chop Top, was in House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I, you know, watching this movie, I, I definitely thought it had like a lot of House of a Thousand Corpses type of uh, like a dialogue and because and, uh, that's kind of got like a comedic side to it, right? A little bit, yeah. And Bill Mosley's character in that goes on a lot of like rants and diatribes. Okay. And uh, and I feel like the cook does here in this movie quite a bit. Yeah. Who is he in House of a Thousand Corpses? Oh boy, I can't remember his name, but he's like one of like the family members. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's like the most prominent family member at the house. Oh, okay, so very like similar type of role then. Yeah, and I'm think. I mean. Oh, I forgot to mention this is kicking off sequel September, listeners. So I think we'll do Devil's Rejects this month too. So yeah, that's we exciting. will see more of Bill Mosley there. Nice. Yeah. Um, this movie had a budget of four point five million, box office of only eight million. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's just become a cult following and got more popular, like after home video release, but uh, didn't do that well at the box office. I'm surprised it's got a cult following. Like, what do you think drove people to like rush and, and uh, claim this one later on? I think probably the anything that's this outrageous is gonna get a cult following. Uh, like the yeah. gore is really over the top. Mm-hmm. And this was actually released unrated, which is pretty unusual. Like in theaters, unrated. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. They got an X from the MPAA, so they just chose not to rate it. I didn't know that was an option. Like, if someone just gives you an X, you can just go, never mind, we're not going to put a rating on it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you just push the X slowly across the table back yeah. to them and back out of the room. <laughs> we were never here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you can. It's just that theaters are going to be less likely to uh, to show your movie. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so theaters did screen this one as unrated? Yeah, yeah, cool. and the home video was release was banned in a lot of countries too. So, right, I think a lot of times a movie that uh, infamous gets a a cor- <laughs> uh, cult following. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is, uh, but like uh, we've seen a few of these movies that either have like X ratings or or unrated or uh, um, had to be like censored down. And I don't know, like watching this, I didn't see anything that like jumped out at me as like, oh, this like could never fly on on screen or something. Um, did you feel like watching this? This like it stuck out as something that would have been I very crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was gory for sure. I don't think anything deserved an X rating. I think largely it depends on like the year it was submitted to the MPAA for, for rating and like mm-hmm. what the culture was like at the time or, or I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors. Okay. Yeah. Or do you think like maybe we're like just pretty desensitized now and like this is kind of like commonplace? That might be, that might be a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell what, it, what, what like the, uh, um, reaction was back then. And did you notice those gory effects were done by Tom Savini? Yeah, I was really surprised to see his name on this. And uh, yeah, did he do the first one too? No, I don't think so. I think his like big uh, break was Dawn of the Dead in 1978. And then he like really rose to stardom with Friday the 13th in 80. Yeah. So yeah, pretty well established by this point. But uh, yeah, I don't think he was involved in the 74 version. Ah, okay, okay. Uh, Yeah, yeah, great addition. I mean, the gores really stand out uh, in this film. There weren't that many effects in the first installment, I guess, the 74 film. I guess you're right. Uh, yeah, nothing really... Ju- yeah, I, I can't remember anything like too shocking in that one. Yeah. Yeah, that um, one is kind of like famous among horror fans for people assuming it's way gorier than it actually is. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of that happens like off of camera, I guess. Yeah. I would still argue that it's it's a bit gory, but... Yeah, not nearly right. as much as it, it feels. After, like, you feel afterwards as if you watch something terribly gory. Yeah, like, I mean, that, that one visual sticks out of, like, him being impaled on, like, a meat hook or something. Yeah, yep. Just things like that. But, yeah, not, not like, close-ups on the gore. So do you think, like, Toby Hooper, like, he made that first film, you said it was 74? Yeah, I think it was 1974. Okay, and then, like, yeah, 10, 12 years go by, and, like, you know, all these other franchises are coming up, and... um he sees like gore has become this big thing or whatever. And, um, so, so like something slapstick, like I guess, so yeah, some of the, some of these can be a little more funnier. And so, and then he just kind of figures that's where he wants to take this movie next. Yeah. It really feels like Friday the 13th really painted the way slashers would look going on. And like movies that really kicked off the slasher trend 
mm-hmm. before Friday the 13th's rise to popularity ended up tailoring their sequels to match like the Friday the 13th aesthetic. Like uh, we yeah. had that discussion when we watched Halloween 2. Uh, which came out a year later, a year after Friday the 13th, and it really right. felt like it was trying hard to, to keep up with Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's so Even interesting. Even though Friday the 13th was a ripoff of Halloween, essentially. Right, right. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah, I guess that was like such a big box office success that everyone's just trying to emulate that formula. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot of what went on with Psycho 2 as well. Yeah, damn. So, yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. So... <laughs> I was going to talk about something else, but then I just noticed my one bullet point where Dennis Hopper said this is the worst movie he's ever been in. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of got shafted in his role a bit. It was kind of just out of nowhere. I had a note at one point from when Dennis Hopper first appeared. I was like, Dennis Hopper's going to elevate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You can argue if he did or not. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, he, he really doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I felt kind of bad for him in this one. Yeah, for sure. Um so I've brought this book up before. Uh Men, Women and Chainsaws by Carol J. Clover about like gender roles in horror movies. Mm-hmm. She brings up a point where she says final girls often display masculine characteristics and have like non gendered names or maybe even ba- masculine names. Mm-hmm. And she gives a list of some of those names. Stretch is one of them. Oh, okay. And I feel like it's kind of a weak point because everybody in this movie has like a non-gendered name, like in, at least in the credits, like Cook, oh. Chop Top, Leatherface, Lefty. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Was Lefty the guy that she worked with? Lefty was the lieutenant. Dennis oh, lieutenant. Hopper. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. They were most like non-traditional names in this. Yeah, and I think the guy she worked with was like LG or something. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, that, that's cool. So in this book, they're, they're saying that a lot, a lot of these final girls have names that, uh, don't sound as, uh, feminine then. Yeah. Yeah. And it even okay. says Lori as one of them, which I don't know many men with that name, but I, yeah, I bring it up because I think that that book has like really interesting discussions about gender in horror movies. But a lot of times I think the author is guilty of just cherry picking stuff to, to sure. make her point. And yeah. I think this is a, a case of that. Yeah. That's it's a really interesting observation though. I kind of want to keep an eye out for that. Definitely like Sydney in, uh, in Scream, right? Yeah, I guess Sydney's, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that book sure. was written before Scream, so. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And t- speaking of Scream and Final Girls, I just read an article, I wish I had reread it for this, in Fangoria where somebody wrote like the Final Girl like virgin thing is really kind of a, self-perpetuating myth and it really doesn't happen that often in horror movies oh yeah Where like it's never really that clear there's maybe a couple movies where it's clear that the final girl is a virgin or like yeah displays any i don't know chastity or prudeness whatever you want to call it (laughs) yeah but it's just like become this self-perpetuating thing that's a really good point i I feel like that's referenced in like so many movies but i can't think of a movie where that's actually been the case that's so interesting (laughs) Yeah, I think Scream might be a little bit guilty for for cementing that into the uh, into like yep. horror movie canon, even though it's not necessarily true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to trace that back. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to keep our eye out. Right. Uh, cool. Anything else you think's worth discussing before we connect this movie to our home state of Ohio, as we always do? Uh, the only other thing I read, and I'm not sure if you saw this, um, was that the guy who plays Leatherface. Uh, he's only in the movie like uh, like two percent of the time, and the rest of the time it's a stuntman because uh, the main actor couldn't lift a chainsaw over his head or something. You see anything about that? I did read that? that. I did read yeah. that. I don't know what the deal was there. If he had an injury or what? Yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't you just cast the other guy then? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing a mask the whole time anyway. It's weird. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then the other question for you, sequels in general, um, since we're kicking off a month of sequels, um, do you think, do you like them in general? Like, are, are you overall like have a optimistic view on these types of films? I think in general, if, hmm, an optimistic view, that's a good question. Not always, but I think if you get the right screenplay, it can really work. Like yeah. if you're just trying to do the original over again, it doesn't work. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like you've got to swing for the fences and you take a big risk when you do that. Yeah, yeah. But if it were like Psycho 2 is a big risk. Right. But it worked. Yep, yep. And I think that's what they made that movie special. Like if you just tried to somehow do Psycho again, it would have just been Yeah. Not nearly as compelling. What do and you that's kind of like, yeah, that's a good point. Cause like Friday the 13th, I feel like, uh, their sequel definitely just like copies and pastes the first one. And then they keep doing that. And, and that kind of gives some credibility to this movie too, because they're doing something way different. So yeah, I, I agree with you. If it's like way different then I kind of applaud it. Otherwise it always just kind of feels like a money grab, uh, to me that like you, your, your first one was a success and instead of like creating a new film, you've just, you're trying to like kind of build on that one's following, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, if the first one was a popcorn movie, it's probably easier to do sequels. Like, yeah, yeah, you can do the same Friday the Thirteenth movie over and over again, and the fans are fine with it. Sure, that's what they expect. Yeah, like it may get critically panned, but the fans don't care. Yeah, true, true. But yeah, I, I don't know how you uh, like replicate a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like the original was so unique in that sense. Yeah, yeah, it's really something all its own there. Yeah, but. Agreed. Yeah, I don't think we spelled out the entire franchise we did in our Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode way back when, but what are there? There's like four films from 1974 to 1995, and then it starts over again with a reboot from Platinum Dunes in 2003. Right. Then there's a prequel to that in 2006. Is that Leatherface or whatever? Uh, Yeah, that might be. No, Leatherface... I don't remember what that prequel's called, but Texas Chainsaw 3D then happens in 2013 as a direct sequel to the 1974 film. And then in 2017, Leatherface is a prequel to the 1974 film. Wow, okay. So the series kind of jumps like back and forth consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. So what is that, like eight eight or nine films? Sounds like it, yeah. This is like the third one we're watching. Yeah. Damn, we got a ways to go. We sure do. No, this is, yeah. wait, did you say this is the third one? Oh, yeah, I guess we watched the uh, Platinum Dunes one, the 2003 one. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Right. That was cool. the one with the, uh, what was, what was her name? Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel, right. Nice. Yeah. All right, shall I move on to the Ohio Connection? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, our Ohio Connection comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh... You can order beer and wine on their website, jukeboxcle.com, and pick it up in your car. And Ashwin, I don't know if you heard this, but they are now offering dining on the outdoor patio. Oh, I saw some pictures on the Instagram. That looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. They're still doing the curbside pickup, too, if yeah, if you want to go do that. But you can go hang out on the patio, too. Yeah, it's a great patio. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Alex says, the principal villain in the film, Leatherface, is played by Bill Johnson. In the franchise, he is one of six people to portray the infamous chainsaw-wielding serial killer. His career in film was essentially defined by this role, playing similar bit parts over the past three decades. Interesting tidbit, during filming, he was unable to hold the chainsaw, there you go, above his head, so most of his shots were close-ups, with stuntman Bob Elmore handling saw duty for most shots in the film. In October 2017, Johnson traveled from his home in Austin, Texas to East Palestine for the 10-year anniversary of the Creepy Hollow Haunted Trail, where he was the featured guest taking photos and signing autographs with fans. East Palestine is a rural community located outside Youngstown, Ohio. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I feel like he had to dig for that one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. Good find. Uh I, th- I think it's uh, hilarious that Ohio has like these little towns like named after like European and Middle Eastern uh, cities <laughs> and countries. I know there, there's a lot of those. Yeah, yeah, like this Paris, Lebanon, uh, yeah, East Palestine. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, you ready to talk about the plot and spoil this movie? Yeah, let's get into it. Okay. Before we do that, you mind if I just uh, make myself a little bit more comfortable here? Oh, sure. All right. I'll, I'll be right back. Hold on one sec. All right. I'm back. That feels better. All right. You, you all comfortable now? Yeah. I was playing hide and seek with my son earlier and I, I put someone else's face on to hide from him earlier. <laughs> I forgot I <laughs> had it on. so confusing. Hot yeah. and wet. <laughs> Hopefully you picked though. a good face. <laughs> it was just one I had lying in the bin. 
Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Those are always handy to keep on. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when like the neighbors come looking for me, I pop one of those on just so <laughs> they can't talk. Oh, where'd he go? <laughs> yeah, I swear he was right here a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's no one here by that name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice Did trick. you notice during that scene, I think she said, didn't she ask, like, is it wet before you yeah. put it on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was funny. Yeah, that was one of the most bizarre scenes. In this. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so this movie starts with a voiceover and scrolling text, just like the first one, saying that they never found the, fa- the farmhouse featured in the first movie and that similar chainsaw killings have been happening across Texas for the past 13 years, but no one's ever been caught and charged with the murders. And did you notice that this seemed really wordy? The text just like kept <laughs> scrolling. Yeah, it was like a novel in the beginning. <laughs> it's like, it's not that complicated. Yeah, I know. I, I almost felt like it wasn't necessary either, but uh, yeah, yeah I, maybe consistency or whatever. Yeah, consistency, I'm sure. I'm sure people in the theater were excited to see that again. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, considering the first 12 one, years, you know. Uh, yeah, I, well, uh, I, I thought the, uh, the first one, wasn't it more like a radio broadcast? I don't remember it being a text. You know, that might be true. Maybe there wasn't written text. I can't remember. It was a similar voice. I, I think it wasn't the same voice actor, though. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, similar similar feel of, like, that kind of delivery. Yeah. Yep. Um, we are introduced to a radio DJ named Stretched. Two dudes, kind of like drunk college dudes, are on the ro- a road trip, and they call her from a car phone, and they're just being obnoxious. And they play chicken with a car. And I can't remember, is it the same car or a different car that comes back and, like, chases them down? I think it's the same truck. Same truck. Yeah. So they're on the phone with Stretch the whole time. For some reason, Stretch can't hang up on her, and I didn't understand how that worked. Yeah, I was so confused on the mechanics of this. So basically, she's on the radio, and and they've, like, called her, and uh, she can't hang up unless they hang up first or something? Yeah, like, what kind of a... That seems like a bad security, like, system to have in place for a radio show. Totally. People can call in, but if they want to talk forever, that's... that's Yeah, yeah, we're stuck... Yeah, what, was that ever the case with telephones? If like someone on the other end didn't hang up, it, like the line never gets cut. I, I don't know. There was a really half-assed thing. I don't. I don't know if they tried to explain it. Like her yeah. coworker just couldn't figure out how to hang it up or what. <laughs> that was, yeah, that made no sense to me. And, and and these kids, like I mean, like they're driving around like the country. Like the guy's shooting like a pistol on on one hand, and he's got like a beer in the other hand. It, it's just such a bizarre uh, element of things coming into this. Yeah, and this whole we learn later this whole thing takes place over the weekend of the texas uh oklahoma university game so like 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 football or something yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm gonna make you a t-shirt that says that (laughs) like football or something (laughs) it's one of those ball games (laughs) um anyway leatherface like comes out of the bed of this pickup truck and starts sawing at the hood of their car and he stretches hearing the whole thing over the phone. One cool thing about this scene was Leatherface like had a corpse tied to the front of him. Yeah. That was pretty nuts. Yeah, I thought visually that was kind of cool. This whole scene, like how like uh, they just like kind of run into him on our bridge and like, yeah, I, I can tell what was going on. That corpse is there and there's like a chainsaw hacking at them. That was a cool effect. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. It was very disorienting and, and kind of kind of fun. Um, and so... Leatherface swings the chainsaw and you don't see it happen but I swear in the clip that they played on Child's Play 2019 you saw the chainsaw cut his head like oh. in half yeah yeah but all you see is the friend look over the passenger look over at his friend who's driving and like you see the the cut across his head and blood's just pouring out of his face yeah yeah it's pretty gory yeah so then the truck crashes Stretch hears the whole thing um, then we cut to a different scene where police are analyzing the accident and we meet Dennis Hopper, who's a lieutenant in town because I don't know where he's from, somewhere else in Texas maybe. Mm-hmm. And he's like been investigating these murders for the past 13 years and we learn that uh, the kids who died in the first one, at least what, was it Sally and Franklin? Yeah. Were his niece and nephew. Right. He's just so, kind of like hunting this down since then. Right. He was law enforcement anyway and has now made it his personal mission to figure out, like, who's behind these killings. Right. And you get the impression that the police kind of think he's nuts. 
Stretch yep. then like finds out that he's in town on the hunt for this stuff and she comes to him with the tape and he says no he doesn't want to get her mixed up in this and for some BS reason he says like I ain't got no fear left like it was kind of lame yeah I didn't understand that whole interaction like why was she motivated to help him and then why was he like so close off to the help yeah and yeah and it, it wasn't very clear yeah and also like what all she had was like a tape of like some people getting murdered on on the radio um where, there wasn't like any clues or anything in there right I mean not really you, you do hear a chainsaw and you hear people screaming yeah I think the police were trying to make it sound like it was just a car accident oh oh okay so she had like the evidence yeah, yeah. I see so yeah but I think essentially Dennis Hopper's character was just like yeah I don't want you to get you mixed up in this yeah um then we got to a chili cook-off where the cook is the victor and he's proclaiming like it's all about the meat I've got nine for prime meat and you know that he's just made chili with human parts in it mm-hmm. um then he as he's driving back he hears on the radio stretch playing this tape Dennis Hopper's character is like come back to her and come to the radio station and he asks her to play the tape on the radio because then people will believe him yeah and I think somewhere before this, we see a chain or a scene where he goes to a chainsaw store. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I didn't understand the scene at all. We're just like eyeing the chainsaws and like picks up two at the same time and buys them. (laughs) Throws down like a thousand dollars, like doesn't even like talk to the owner or anything. It was very strange. It was, and then he just like walks outside and like does this big show of like using the chainsaws. Yeah. (laughs) That was so crazy, man. Um... But anyway, Stretch does what he asked her to. He She plays the audio on the radio like every hour on the hour or something. And that night she's there, which is the dumbest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And she stays there late. And this creepy dude comes in uh, who is crop top, who is apparently, I didn't really, maybe I grasped it at one point in the movie, but he's the hitchhiker's brother from the first movie. Oh. Twin really? brother. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I think he was presumably in Vietnam in the first movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he mentions that a few times. What happened to the hitchhiker in the first one? Did he die? I guess so, because I think that's supposed to be his corpse. Oh, tied oh to yeah, right. Face. I cannot remember his death now, though. Yeah, I don't remember him like uh, getting killed on screen. Yeah. Um, or maybe he died between 1974 and 1986. Who knows? I'm sure plenty oh. of people know when they're shouting at us. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, now I kind of remember uh, the at the end of the first one. And yeah, I, I don't want to give a spoiler away, but I, I think there was like a scene where we might have seen him die in that first one. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've, yeah. I can't remember that for some reason. Yeah. Um, but Crop Top, or Crop Top. Is it Crop Top? Chop Top. Chop Top. <laughs> carrot he, Top. He is like Carrot Top. Yeah. <laughs> he, did you ever see the movie Little Monsters as a kid? No. He reminds me of Howie Mandel playing the monster in that movie. Oh, really? I'll have, to, I'll have to Google it. He's just really goofy and over the top. And man, he keeps like scratching his head with this hanger and then like sucking on the tip of the hanger like he's eating something. Yeah, doesn't he keep like lighting the tip on fire too? Like heating it and then like scratching his head with it? Yeah, to like disinfect it. Yeah, yeah. Super gross. Um, and Stretch is like really creeped out by him. She thinks he's maybe just like an overzealous fan or something, like a general mm-hmm. creep. And he's asking to get a tour of the station. And she's just like trying to get him out of there. And she takes him over to like the record vault. And this is like one of the best jump scares of all time to me. Did this yeah. get you? Yeah, this got me, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good. So they're just talking, and this, the record vault is this dark room. And just then, mid sentence, the light comes on and Leatherface just sprints out of there with the chainsaw, the chainsaw yeah. noise and the light turns on. Like it, it got me. It was good. Yeah. This is really good. Yeah. But, they, I always feel like this is like the best part of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like those quick attack scenes where he just like pops out of nowhere with the chainsaw running. And this is like such a great moment for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there were definitely some standout moments in this movie. Yeah. Um, so the dialogue here is, is really stupid, but a chase scene happens. Leatherface tries to like, he's going to kill her, but there's this really weird scene where he's like, uh, 
putting his chainsaw near her crotch. Yeah. And like thrusting it towards her. And she's like, I don't, is she acting like she likes it? She says like, how, like you're good. How good are you're, you? Yeah, you're really good. You're really good. I, I couldn't tell what she was doing though. Like, this, this dialogue made no sense to me. I, yeah, I couldn't tell if she was like trying to be like, you're good. Like you're not going to kill me. You're a good person. Or like, Oh, you're good at sex. Like I'm, I'm into this or something. Yeah. Or maybe it was supposed to be both. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell either. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think ultimately though, she was trying to like talk down like a a serial killer in a way. And this is just kind of like where her mind went in a way to kind of like calm him down or something or make him feel like he's good or something. Yeah. And it it seems to work, right? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of, uh, Jenny from Friday the 13th part two. Mm-hmm. Like how she kind of got into Jason's psyche. Oh right, right. Yeah, like yeah. Way to to stay stay alive, and that's a little yeah. bit maybe what's going on here. Yep. Um, so Leatherface is real into this, and he comes back and tells his brother that he's killed her via grunts and pointing or whatever. And then they get out of there. They have like either killed or injured her coworker and take him with them. But did you find it surprising that they wouldn't take her or take the tape? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess like that's kind of a shoddy. Tape? Yeah, that's kind of a shoddy job. Just uh, mm-hmm. not like checking the body or, or like bringing her along. Yeah. And so they flee, and she, for some reason, follows them back to their lair. I think she was expecting Lefty to show up at the studio, and he never did. Yeah, and so that's she feels true. like she's got to chase him or something. Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to meet her there. And then Lefty does show up then at their lair, but she, as they meet up, like falls into this chasm and falls into their underground lair. I keep calling it lair for lack yeah. of a better term. It's just like their their setup. Um, their lair is like is it like an amusement park or something? Or I, yeah. I couldn't tell what this place was. Yeah, it seemed like maybe some sort of an old like festival ground or something like that, or amusement park. Yeah. And basically, they're like in the underground, and that's like where they cook all their meats and and live supposedly. Yeah. Yeah, they've got some okay. bodies down there, it seems. Yeah. Um, and so now she's under there, and she sees Leatherface, like, peeling off her co-worker's leg skin and, like, hanging it up to dry on a clothesline. Yeah. <laughs> pretty this, gross. This is pretty... Yeah, this is really gory. And then is, does he cut off his face at this part, too? I think so. And he I puts it... So. He finds her, sees her there, and walks over and puts the guy's face on her. Right. And I, was he doing that to hide her or something? I think he was doing it to hide her. Yeah. Yeah. And it was super gross. And he has to tie her up too. And I think one of the like most memorable and disgusting visuals of this movie is her with her hands tied behind her back or like tied in front of her. I can't remember. She's trying to get to her face to take this guy's face off of her face and she can't yeah. reach. Yeah. And she's just like flailing. It's just so gross. Yeah, yeah. This is actually like a really effective scene. Uh, yeah. And yeah, really gross to see and pretty traumatic. Like you're wearing someone else's face and, and that face looks pretty horrific. Yeah. Yeah. This and the jump scare were the two standout scenes of this movie to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, they eventually have a scene where <laughs> she like talks to his coworker and I think he's dying and she like gently lays his face back on him in position. <laughs> Oh, that was yeah. funny to me. It was you like closing to. someone's eyes when they die. Yeah. <laughs> like you're putting, putting their face, their back, face on. back on. Yeah. <laughs> he, he would have wanted it this way. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was gross though. Cause he gets up and he's like trying to help her, but he's like all cut up basically. Yeah. And like you see his insides in a way it's, it's gross. Yeah. So from here on out, the movie to me is largely just this family down in their lair spewing all sorts of nonsense and just like rambling to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they do eventually. Oh, and lefty is like yeah, in their lair too, just like going nuts and shouting and trying to like tear it all down with the chainsaws, just like cutting down wooden posts wherever he finds them. Yeah. For like 20 minutes or like a half hour, he's just like, it, it like jumps between like her being stuck in the basement with the, those guys. And then uh, him just like on his own up there, like just going on a rant and, uh, chopping things down for no reason. It made no sense. He was so like strategic and careful and like seemed like a reasonable character. And then he's just bonkers and 
cutting everything down for no reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like a super shredder at the end of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, too. yeah. That's exactly what he was. <laughs> Just knocking down like every pillar he saw. Right. He would probably like kill himself and stretch or like making right. this whole thing collapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, the family does like find out that she's there at some point and Leatherface kisses her. It's clear he's super into her and they like tease him about it. And then they kind of try to replicate the dinner scene from the first one again. Like the grandpa yeah. comes back out and tries to hit her with the hammer. And this seemed kind of pathetic to me to try to like replicate that super powerful scene from the first one. Right, yeah. It just like almost like beat for beat. It was strange. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think they're trying to show that it's like a tradition. Um, but yeah, it was too kind of like replicating. And uh, and he even like in the first one, did he like land any blows on her head? Uh, I don't remember if he ever landed any blows. But in this one, he, he does land a few, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I thought that was maybe the difference here because I, I feel like that never happened in the first one. But yeah, it was like the exact same sequence where they're trying to get him to hold the hammer properly. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, definitely more comedic than that. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Lefty shows up. He gets in a chainsaw sword fight with Leatherface. Everybody scrambles. Uh, Stretch flees. She escapes and, like, climbs to the top of some structure. Meanwhile, Lefty's down there. He's, like, mortally wounded Leatherface. He blows himself up with a... Or, no, the cook is wounded, too, right? And blows himself up with a grenade. Yeah, yeah, there's a grenade that, that he lets go, right? Yeah, and that presumably would kill Lefty, Leatherface, and Grandpa. Right. So Stretch climbs on top of this structure. She finds the dead grandma up there, like a corpse with a chainsaw in her lap. Chop Top <laughs> is chasing her. She wounds him with the chainsaw and knocks him off the tower. And the last shot of the movie is her up in this tower, swinging the chainsaw up above her head like Leatherface did at the end of the first one. That was kind of clever, like that rule reversal there. And did like you think having- so? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I kind of appreciated what they did there. They like kind of brought that whole like iconic last scene of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre back and, and like kind of switched the shoes on it. But you, you didn't think so? I thought it was really dumb. <laughs> that was like trying too hard. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, she, the shot itself was just, I don't know if it was her acting or what, but it just, yeah. it looked stupid to me. Oh yeah, it did look stupid. It definitely looked a lot cooler in the first one. It made like <laughs> yeah. more sense. Than this, uh, yeah, this kind of felt out of nowhere and obviously unnatural. But I appreciate like that they were trying to like kind of tie it out like the same way, but like with a different ending. Yeah, yeah. Was that was was that grandmother uh, dead uh, or was she more like kind of this, in the state like the grandfather's in, where you know kind of dead but not quite? I took it as dead, dead, but I don't know okay. for sure. Yeah, and, and uh, that guy got really upset because she grabbed the chainsaw or something. Yeah, from her. They, they, it seems like the writer tried to make chainsaws really more part important of, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, like it was like part of the family's DNA or something. Yeah, yeah, it was at one point the cook even says like grandma's up in chainsaw heaven or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, that, that's what I really liked about the first movie is they didn't try to like rationalize too much of it or draw, like try to show too much of the background of the characters. And this one, uh, I feel like they did go overboard on like showing the goofiness of the characters and um, trying to, yeah, so put some kind of like family connection to the chainsaw now. That That's weird. Yeah, and you can really see how House of a Thousand Corpses may have been influenced like specifically by this one. Yeah. Like, I know it seems like this like white trash horror movie genre in general influenced that movie, but... It, it, similar to how the Firefly family becomes like gets more screen time than the supposedly good guys in that movie. Yep. I think that's similar to what's happening here. Really most of the screen time is is the family. There's a little bit of scratch, stretch, a little bit of lefty. Yeah. But largely the focus is the family. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate because I, I feel like if they switched that dynamic, I mean, I would have loved to see more about like Stretch or, or Lefty. And I, I feel like in horror, if you keep the villain more mysterious, then they're a little scarier. But um, by spending more time with them, you're kind of diluting them a bit. Yeah, yeah. And this film certainly wasn't trying to be scary, I don't think, aside from a few scenes. Yeah, yeah. So if not scary, you think it was just more going for like, uh, like suspense and like gross visuals? I and- think like comedic, over the top gore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny because, like, the first one 
feels really gory even though it's not and this one feels lighter even though it's crazy gory <laughs> yeah yeah that's an interesting uh switch off there yeah um, um, it kind of goes to show that, show that like you don't need gore to be like super scary and oftentimes like when you do do gore um i don't know maybe, maybe like I, it doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with uh like being like yeah the the scared to gore factor i don't feel like is necessarily correlated yeah for sure for sure um yeah, and like you said, Stretch and Lefty, it was a shame how underdeveloped they were. Yeah. It right. really seemed like Lefty was going to have a meaningful trajectory, and then it just made no sense. <laughs> I know. They introduced him in a super serious way, and then like his character just kind of like sputters out. Yeah. Uh, I did think this movie was shot really well. Okay. And uh, like, the House of, like House of a Thousand Corpses, like the production design was great to me. Like the cave under there and... Mm-hmm. The whole look and feel of their lair was was really well done, I thought. Yeah, I liked that one tunnel with like the Christmas lights all hung around and that like she was being chased down. Yeah. That was that was a cool touch and yeah, I I think you're right. It was a pretty cool uh place. I, I guess I just didn't understand like why they were at like hiding under like a fairground. Um but I guess where else would you hide? Yeah. In Texas. Yeah. yeah. It's like a Scooby Doo villain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which door are you going to pop out of? Yeah. Um, and I know that I think with sequels and stuff, you still have to just maintain the first one as its own movie. Like, I don't know that a sequel or a reboot or whatever can really, like, sully the first one. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. To see these characters with, like, a complete lack of menace was a bit jarring for me. How about you? Yeah. Same, same. Like, I I really felt like everything that the first one had built up and, like, these people just being really creepy cannibals, uh, it got kind of taken away with the amount of screen time they got here. And just, like, uh, the, they were all brothers, right, the three of them? Yeah. Uh, the older one who's, like, the cook or whatever, um, yeah, he's just, like, the way he, like, keeps, like, kind of smacking each each of them in the butt. Uh, like, how, how are you supposed to be scared of, like, this character that you just saw, like, get smacked in the butt, like, three or four times? <laughs> That's, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, any menace is totally removed, and especially Leatherface. Like, yeah, he's just painted as this goofball who's got a crush on Stretch now, and yeah, uh, yeah, you get a lot of close-ups on his face and like his eyes darting around, embarrassed behind the yeah. mask. And it's, <laughs> I know it's very like cartoony. It is. It is really cartoony. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I like I like his his getup though. Like uh, he kind of wears like a suit, where everyone else is like dressed down pretty much. Yeah, yeah, you you respect his wardrobe. I do, I do. I, I think that's a cool choice, especially like given like Freddy's wardrobe and uh, Jason's um, and and others. Like, I feel well, I guess Michael's got a really cool one, but uh, yeah, I I, I like uh, this guy's wardrobe. Nice. Um, um, and he and you never saw his face in this one either, right? No, not that I recall. We saw it in the remake. Did we see it in the in part one too? No, I don't think you see it in part one. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, dude, I feel like in, in movies that we've seen with a similar tone to this, like jokey and gory and maybe using some of that over the top gore as maybe like a comedic element as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've got to have like really great choreography and set pieces for it to work. Like I think of like dead alive or evil dead or something. Yeah. Yep. And the movie, like it has some great moments in it but they aren't necessarily great sequences. Like that sequence, the whole sequence at the radio station when Chop Top comes in, Mm -hmm. it's not that gripping or good, but the one jump scare is amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like when Stretch first falls into the mine or whatever and encounters Leatherface, that sequence isn't that good, but that like moment with the face on her face and her trying to like reach her arms right. up to get it off, but she can't reach it. Like right. that's a great moment, even though the sequence yeah. itself really isn't that great. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I feel like this is a movie of like some pretty decent moments or like great scenes or like great shots, I guess, but like yeah. sequences and scenes, I thought, uh, nothing really like stood out in terms of like, uh, yeah, great cinematography or anything. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, in my opinion, the movie's biggest failure was the screenplay. It was just pretty bad to me. Like, yeah, uh, some of the events didn't make sense. The character motivations and choices didn't make sense. Yep. The characters were super thin. Like, right. 
I don't know. What, what did you think? Same. Like, I feel like everything, all the inputs, uh, none of it, like, added up. Like, those two characters in the beginning, the idea that, like, the the radio show, like, is dependent on people hanging up the phone. Um, this guy's uh, the sheriff and, like, his whole angle. And even, like, the idea that, like, uh, they use, like, this tape to, like, attract the killers. Like, none of this made sense. And, and yeah, I think the characters don't have, like, any kind of time of day, really. Um, so, yeah, n- none of the storyline or the writing, I think, made sense on this one. Yeah. Yeah, and I get, I'm sure there are people who love this movie that are like, you can't really take this movie apart. Like, that's not the kind of movie it is. But yeah, for me, it just like what it was going for fell completely flat. So I have no choice but to analyze like why it, it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, there was a lot of dialogue among the villains, the family, but it just wasn't funny to me. I know. I know. I feel like they stretched out something that didn't have much content to it. Yeah. Yeah, they really did. I feel like there was multiple like stretches where the cook was just ranting about how like small business versus big business <laughs> and like the taxes and stuff yeah yeah it was just like all right like i get it but yeah why why so much time on this yeah why are you ranting on this and why are we listening to this yeah. I, I was actually interested i wanted to hear more of his thoughts on like what what he felt like was going on in the economy as a small business <laughs> that's like was it like regulation and was this like reagan era politics or like what, what was he rallying against there you think there's like some subtext there on like some kind of social or, or uh, economical commentary i think the first one had a little bit of that or at least it if it wasn't doing so intentionally it has been analyzed as such like mm-hmm. this family who had a small meat packing or processing business got put out of business by you know a big corporation and had was left with nothing and this is you know their lives are shells of what they once were and they're essentially just these crazy cannibal weirdos now oh yeah yeah like trying to work do the same work they did in this weird bastardized form because they they have no livelihoods anymore right so who's like the real villain is it is it these guys or is it like the uh society that's like kind of pushed them out of the 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 infrastructure yeah yeah and i feel like that's kind of what like hillbilly horror type stuff can can right. be uh, interpreted as like that can be the message of it whether it's intentional yeah. or not yeah that's interesting um uh yeah i, I didn't get that much on, on this one though right that, they didn't do anything to that. further that aside from just have the cook like go on these rants that kind of confirm hey maybe yeah. that was what the first movie was about a little bit yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. and but and yeah so certainly they could have incorporated that a little bit yeah, yeah. And and so uh, I don't remember that part in the first one. Like, so their whole, the whole, uh, like the villains in this, their whole thing was just to like make the best chili. That's that's like what makes them, what drives them every day or like what's... <laughs> what gets them out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Because that. That, that wasn't a part of the first one at all. There was never any talk of chili, was there? <laughs> no, no, there was no chili cook off in the first one. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of a weird angle to have here. Yeah, I mean, it was. He like really wanted their business to like come back and succeed and like them to have this great chili like the big plot of the movie was they were trying to feed like these fans that were like coming into town for the big game oh yeah right <laughs> that was like the big point of tension <laughs> yeah and they had to people. like go out and find prime meat to make it make yeah. it so delicious right right uh yeah uh yeah i'm with you like uh this the script here was was pretty uh, bloated and uh, dragged on a lot of parts, but like so, some pretty cool, like iconic moments though overall. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so zero to five leg skins hung up to dry. What do you give this? Oh man, uh, I think I think a one leg skin hung up to dry overall. Ouch. Uh, just yeah, just uh, yeah. I feel like it was, it was hard to kind of watch. Uh, like what was this like ninety minutes long or something? Yeah, almost right at ninety, I think. Yeah, and just like a, a few really cool parts uh, outside of that, like didn't really hold together. Uh, what, what about you? Yeah, I give it two out of five. Uh, mostly the two, just because there were a couple, like the gore. I liked the gore. I thought it was really well done, and like it worked. And it's over the top gross outness sometimes. Yeah, like basically the two just all comes from that like big, the cool jump scare where Leatherface pops out at the radio station, and the scene was stretched with the face on her face. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm with you, actually. I, I think I would give it a 2-2, two, because two, I feel like the, the, the gore was really cool. I feel like Tom Savini really added uh, his, his work in this was like pretty cool to see. And yeah, that jump scare was was really awesome. So actually, I, I think I might switch mine to 2. Cool. 
Yeah, and I don't feel like it was directed poorly. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I have a hard time differentiating what what a failure or success could be. Like, if a failure or a success could be attributed to the script or the director, ultimately yeah. I think everything could be laid at the feet of a director. But it it wasn't done poorly. It was just like the story, the script itself was just like, what is even happening here? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's I, I, who wrote it? Did Toby Hooper write it? No, some dude named LT LM Kit Carson. Oh, okay. Which they okay. did not do. I mean, they did other stuff for sure, but there was not much of note on their resume. Yeah. I yeah, don't think yeah. that's an accident. Sure. I mean, it, it felt like it, it was written by like a second or third grader. It wasn't <laughs> very <laughs> it had too, too many plot holes in it throughout. <laughs> And then he just screams and cuts down wood with the chainsaws for 30 yeah. minutes. I know. Isn't this something like a kid would write? <laughs> yeah, it was It was pretty dumb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry to the fans. It's, I have a feeling this has probably has some passionate followers, but... It's only got like a 48%, right, on Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, even the uh, user rating on Rotten Tomatoes was was pretty poor. Eh, maybe it was like 44% user rating, uh, 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So just like around half in general. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So this is how we kick off sequel September. I look forward to what we do next. Anything else before we start to sign off here? No, that's all I got. Cool. All right. Well, this was our episode on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, uh, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find our show. Uh, you can reach us at horrormovieclub.com. We've got links to our socials there. Facebook and Twitter is where we announce what we're going to cover next week. We've also got a link to our Discord server there where we're chatting with listeners and friends and movie fans. And it's just a great place to hang out and talk to people who like movies. So I would highly recommend coming to join us there. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out at Etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart, all one word. Um, anything else? Did I miss all the things? I think that's everything. So I think you got everything. Until next time. If you happen to have audio recording of a murder that could possibly be damning to the murderers, do not publicly broadcast that recording from a place that anybody listening could easily locate. (laughs) Yeah, watch out for the FCC. (laughs) 